hello again, all my gorgeous listeners, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Glow West podcast. We're here to chat all about the delights of sex, sexuality, and the body. As usual, I'm your host, Dr. Caroline West, and I'm always delighted to be a part of the Tortoise Shack Network, where you can find tons of content on politics, culture, society, and of course, my favorite topic of sex. If you like what we do, please do consider supporting us at patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack. It does help keep the mics on and the word going. Or if you like, please pop over to Apple and rate and review. If you want to get in touch about the podcast, the Twitter and Instagram is at Glow West Podcast. So we're turning today to a topic that actually I meant to cover a lot, but I just haven't gotten around to. And that's absolutely my failing completely. And this is the topic of polyamory is kind of interesting Polly is about many and we haven't had many episodes on the podcast so that's interesting um, but today to guide me through this topic I have a fantastic guest for you. So I have Ruth Crean who uses the pronouns she and her and she's a psychotherapist working in the area of polyamory, kink and LGBTQ Q plus topics. She's volunteered with Polyamory Ireland for several years and she's passionate about helping to foster a greater understanding of the poly community in order to reduce stigma and judgment. In her practice, she is an integrative therapist while honoring that unique pressures experienced by minorities play an integral role in understanding mental health. Ruth, how are you today? How are you keeping? Good. It's really nice to meet you at last. I've been following you online for so long. It's really exciting to be in a Zoom space with you. Yay! I know one day we'll get back to recording face to face, but it's just not going to happen for the time being. But um, yeah, this this is it for now, unfortunately. But we'll get there. We'll get there. Mm. Um. So yeah. So you you have a great Instagram page and stuff. And we'll come to that in a little bit. And you do a lot of work around kind of public knowledge around polyamory and different lifestyles and different relationship ways. Um, tell us a little bit about what polyamory is for those who are completely brand new to the subject. Sure, good question. Um, so I suppose it would fall under the umbrella of ethical non-monogamy, which is people who engage in multiple relationships, whether that be like just a sexual relationship or like a loving relationship. But polyamory specifically deals with like committed loving relationships, like multiple ones, whether that is like relationship anarchy which is people who would see themselves as like engaging in like multiple relationships with a zero hierarchy and they really like honor their own autonomy and then there's people who might like be married and have multiple partners outside of that there's some people who practice hierarchical poly which is like what would be called like a primary and a secondary and instantly I have done the thing of getting involved in language <laughs> without like it's really hard like how do you explain polyamory that honors the thing that it is and all of the different shapes that it is and then how do you not instantly get into like nerd language about polyamory so that all the non-poly people are like oh god my brain is turned off <laughs> yeah. so but it's I hard not to because <laughs> there's so many things and and people like new terms like the word triple mm. became pretty popular over the last little while and like another word for that is poly but like language changes so much and, and you know like you you kind of have to get a little bit bogged down in the language to understand it and then kind of move on from things but you, you spoke there about the hierarchical nature and I think that's what I think that's probably the predominant idea that lots of people have in their heads of like it's one partner 
Um, and then maybe, you know, there's a secondary. Well, oftentimes it's like one person mainly calling the shots and the whole thing and deciding who gets to see who. And that, that's obviously mixing up poly and abuse. That's not healthy <laughs> at all. So, yeah. How do we how do we get to that kind of healthy stage? Because that's really important to know that these media depictions can be quite stigmatizing a lot of the time. Again, great question. I think that, you know, that's what happens when people who aren't the minority write the fiction. So that's someone who's looking at polyamory going, I know what that is because I have I have read an article and now I will go write this narrative. It was more to do with my like monogamous fantasy rather than how this actually works on an interpersonal level where it honors everybody's feelings and everyone's potential for openness and everyone's potential to grow into their lives simultaneously and in parallel so it's like a really tricky interpersonal ask of people um, and it's challenging and hence why there's a need for like lots of communication but how it's depicted in media is that it's written by people who are thinking about it or they have tried polyamory for six months or they tried it and they went it went badly and then they're like polyamory is terrible and it's like you kind of have to learn over time and i'm not i i'm I'm conscious that there's many different ways that people live polyamory and I don't want to be like hierarchy is bad and I don't want to be saying hierarchy is good. This has many manifestations and whatever works consensually for everybody within that dynamic and everybody is living their full freedom, then that's the dynamic that works for them. But there isn't one answer for everyone. It's something that has to be negotiated over time with consent. And as you said, if you're not, that's edging into the area of abuse. Absolutely. And the, yeah, the key word there is consent. And I like what you said there as well about people saying, oh, they have a bad experience and they're like, oh, polyamory is terrible. But sure, if we did that with monogamy, there'd be no relationships at, at all. And someone asked me that on a, a podcast before and it, it was very innocent minded. You know, there was no malice behind it or anything like that. And it was just, how do you know polyamory works? And I answered back with, well, how do you know monogamy works? You know, and <laughs> if we look at it statistically, it doesn't a lot of the time and um, does for some and does for others. And the same with poly it works for some and it doesn't work for others so how do you figure out if if you're a fit for polyamory like it's it seems like it's you know a massive journey of communication with yourself but we should be all doing that anyway in an ideal world but how do you come to that kind of conclusion of this is actually what I want in my lifestyle um it's an interesting one because I was talking about this with my clinical supervisor and just typically clinical supervisor is the the supervisor that a therapist goes to to discuss their cases. So I was talking about the nature of polyamory with my supervisor and she was saying, or I was saying that, oh, there's the people that learn it by, by living it with all of the mistakes and the drama. And then there's the people that learn it by reading about it in books. And then they take these tentative steps. Um, and it seems to be these two different paces. And it's like a mix of both is probably good because there's only so much you can learn from books and there's only so much you can learn from by imagining yourself in that position. So you kind of have to take a little like dip the toe in and like maybe expand your comfort zone so that everybody again is consenting to each of the expansions. Um, and then there's the other approach where it's like, let's jump into a triad before we've ever read an article about it. Um, and sometimes that works, but extremely rarely because as I said, interpersonal problems, it's challenging. Absolutely. Yeah. And we had um, Stella Harris on the podcast before and she was talking about her book on threesomes and the threesome alone is like a lot to navigate. There's a lot of conversations about sexual health, consent, logistics, all that kind of thing. So you can imagine it's 
extra work when you're trying to navigate that on an emotional level of relationships with multiple people and you know how you're figuring that part out of things so you know I'm how do people realize okay I'm, I'm I think I'm poly that's where I kind of want to go how do you get started I know you you're part of polyamory Ireland so what's that like is there a lot of group picnics is there a lot of um group conversations <laughs> about the joys of google calendar uh yes there's all of that um and things have changed obviously during covid so we used to have monthly meetups um up in dublin and then there was monthly social events as well in dublin i'm down uh, in the south of the country so i was running events um in limerick um trying to do them monthly but then was also trying to balance college and work at the same time so they weren't exactly monthly down this end of this few of us um and then covid happened and then we had to adjust and change like everybody else in the world and um, so our meetings moved online um, and I've been facilitating those for the last year or so, um, which has been great because, you know, now I have before I didn't have any training in this. And now, you know, I've since gone to college and now I have training with facilitating meetings and they've become this quite intimate space where people can share. And I think there's um, there was something that we discussed recently of like how Zooms can kind of uh, facilitate neurodivergence in a way that like loud environments where the three boisterous people in the room get all of the airtime. Whereas like when you digitally have to raise your hand and everything is about giving space and consent and you can, you know, not make eye contact. And I, I think that there's this kind of openness to every type, um, whether that is like lots of experience with polyamory or less experience with polyamory or being somewhere in the neurotypical neurodivergent, whatever, like different people's needs are met. Um, so yeah, that was just a side rant about that. Um, so there's the, the monthly meetups um, digitally um, and then picnics have restarted up in Dublin. So that has been really good for people who can access those. Um, and then the Facebook uh, group itself, it's a private group. So if people join, it's not like your Facebook friends see, it's not like your Facebook friends see if you post things. And mostly people are posting articles that they find online. They're sharing like memes and resources. And then sometimes someone might ask a question that is about their personal experience of, like without names or referring to actual people they're like this thing has happened is my feeling valid um because society spends most of its time telling people that their feelings aren't valid absolutely no. and yeah. that's a whole other problem yeah we'd be a lot healthier society if we didn't do that but uh we're, we're still working our way through that so w what are the main myths that people have about poly and immediately i'm thinking it's just like people think it's just one big giant sex fest for absolutely everybody and maybe it is an all power to you if it is but i'm like most no one has the energy <laughs> yeah like we have jobs and like you know social lives and stuff as well to try to figure out as well but w what would be the most common myth that you'd hear about being poly uh when you asked that question i was like oh is this podcast four hours long um <laughs> it can be an extended version and <laughs> um, there's way more myths than there is insight um you know then there's all of like so most of the narrative is determined by people looking in on polyamory and judging it and making hyper sexualized kind of observations about it people doing that knee-jerk thing like as in you know it's the the eye roll bit of like you say that you're poly to someone you make that brave step you to do this continuous coming out thing it's so frustrating you eventually say it and they're like oh that's not for me you know and that's the that's about the best reaction you can hope for um is that someone going oh right yeah how do you do it that's not for me and straight away the narrative is about them straight away the conversation is about 
how it's not monogamy, how it's these presumptions that they have about sex, how it's these presumptions that it's, you know, even if you're managing it, it's definitely hierarchical and seeing people as like adulterers and like, you know, cheating by another name and like really like huge character judgments being made in the span of about 30 seconds, like a character assassination. And then you're just meant to nod and smile. Wow. Um, and this is over and over and over again for years. Yeah. Um, it's quite exhausting, to be honest. Yeah, it sounds like you're kind of, you'd be on the defensive a lot and have to spend more time explaining to non-poly people than you are being poly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it's, there's very few moments that I get to socially be polyuphoric. Um, there's very few moments that I get to talk about a date and not have it somehow questioned. There's very few moments that I get to share multiple loves and talk about it and then not be like, oh, but really, who's your favorite? Or, oh, but really, is this not going to ultimately fail? And if we take all of that language and we place it back onto how we have spoken about sexual orientation before, I think we can both agree it sounds very familiar. Absolutely, especially for bisexual people of like, oh, no, but you must prefer one more than the other or being bi is a stopover on the way to gay town. So you're just passing time with this person. And it's, it, that's extremely shit to, to yeah. say to people, you know, let's not hold back there. But it sounds like you just wouldn't ask, you wouldn't go up to a person in a monogamous relationship and go, is this partner your favorite or was your ex before this your favorite? Like you just, that's a weird thing to do, but apparently not weird if you ask a poly person, that's weird. Yeah, it's kind of like the the curiosity in the zoo kind of thing. You know, it's like suddenly, like it, you're so right in, in that observation of like, you wouldn't go up to a monogamous person and ask them about their sex life, generally, you know, but you're gonna, you know, people think it's okay to ask a non-monogamous person about their sex life and the reason that person has brought it up is like not about the sex <laughs> it's about trying to like be okay in themselves and not have to mask and not have to hide not have to the internal betrayal of a hiding one of your partners or two of your partners because you have something that might be more monogamous passing and that struggle is like horrible so there could be moments where you're like maybe this person is safe generally not um and this is not me saying oh poly people don't out yourselves like the more of us that have the privilege of being out the more normal this becomes so i have some privilege in being an articulate person who minds like doesn't mind fighting for things so i am out so that other people have maybe less confusion or less stigma like maybe it's super idealistic of me but it's the reason why I do things like this. Yeah, well, and every little helps because you never know who's listening and, and who's struggling with their own identity. So it's great to have people like yourself speaking up on that. And I know I want to go back to what you said about the hiding part. And there's there's so many people around the world and everything else who have to hide their sexuality or mm. their, their gender or any kind of aspect to do with sex and stuff and you know I wrote an article recently about um on poly and people you know deciding if they wanted to go and I said one of the things you you may have to consider is how do you manage that part of like hiding like who do you bring as a plus one to a wedding or do you ask for a plus two or a plus three and and be very expensive for the bride and groom to to, to support your little polycule at the wedding but how does that happen like how do you like does one person get introduced to parents and the other 
they just pretend they don't exist. Like all those societal things are for people who may not be as open minded. Like mm. I imagine that's a struggle for a lot of people, especially in conservative areas. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a real thing. And I think it's a barrier to, you know, that question that you asked me earlier on of like, oh, do people imagine themselves as falling your head and then make those steps? Well, well, here's a gigantic barrier of like, you know, being disowned by your family or not having the social rituals that are so integral to being a human and so integral to like celebrating partnership. Um, if, if that's only allowed with one person. Um, and it's a big decision that say, if someone has an established relationship and they want to open that relationship up, but say they have a conservative family and that new person coming in to have a relationship with that person, they're like, oh, I have to take on board secrecy because of your family. You know, all of these concerns that uh, queer people have had to go through for so long and still go through, I'm, I'm not erasing that, that's still the reality for many people. Um, but yeah, this pressure to hide um, and we're not having we're not having the conversations we need to be. It's not normalized. Even the conversations that happen are still talked about by mono people and how they imagine probably to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I like what you're saying there about you know you know those kind of conversations and stuff. It, it's just it's all those societal pressures of our whole life is mapped out before we're born on a monogamous nature. It's literally like you go to school, um, you, then you start dating and then you find the one and you get mm. married to the one and you start having babies with the one and then you die. <laughs> That's it. Like yeah. they're, they're missing the bit in between it. Like it's literally the goal to measure yourself as a successful human being in society mm -hmm. is to get married. And then we kind of forget what happens after that. It doesn't seem to matter if it's a healthy relationship. It's what you're married. Well done. Like you get the gold star. <laughs> like congratulations. Now, obviously, times are changing a little bit now, thankfully, but that is literally, I mean, the amount of Hollywood movies and stuff about the one and the songs about yeah. the one. And it's like, like monogamous people also have many ones in their life as well but we just like have a blank when it comes to poly people in that aspect like what, why do you think we're so ingrained with monogamy oh that's a big question why are we so ingrained uh patriarchy with a capital p and some rage um i don't know there's lots and lots of reasons <laughs> that's the biggest one um and you know the the media aspect the social aspect as you were talking there, I was thinking about the identity of that escalator and how aligned we are to, I suppose, that idea of success. Um, and it, it's it's interesting because it's a map. You literally, here's a set of instructions and this is what success will be determined by everybody else. Success determined by the patriarchy. Success determined in the values of your family. And just do it and everyone will think you're okay and everyone will think you're successful. Whereas deciding to rip up that map and then going, I don't know what success looks like. Oh, and when I make decisions, everyone will think I am a deviant, which I have been called. Um, you know, and so it's it's really hard to rip up the map um, and to still feel a sense of pride in oneself and to feel like, oh, there might be happiness at the end of this, not just sadness, not just judgment from the outside, and um, to feel like that there's a potential to thrive, um, which is kind of feels like a radical thing to say of like 
to throw away these values and to feel like entitled to an identity outside of that. But it but it is though, it is a radical thing to say because like look at our society, if you look at people who are about to get married for the second time, people are like, oh, well, you wouldn't want the big dress because you did it once already. As in you had your moment, like don't dress this up as anything special because you've already done it and forget about it if it's three, four, five marriages down the line, mm-hmm. you're just viewed as hopeless by that case. You're like J-Lo, do you know, with all our million divorces and broken engagements and stuff but like like you said there there's so much content about what what's polyamory why would you do it like let's talk about the thriving part what's the good part like let's get some of that like love and happiness in into the episode and it's not all misery as being poly um the same with any relationship but like what what do you get out of it where is your thriving in polyamory oh i love that question (laughs) Because, yeah, it can be this, you know, oh, doom and gloom and just fighting the patriarchy. But it's important to talk about the joy, like the joy of having two people love you completely uniquely for who you are. Like, imagine that acceptance that you like that many people experience in a loving relationship. But again, at the same time, um, and it's, it's really OK to be yourself. You're not molding yourself for one person. You just are this thing yourself. And then people come into your life and go oh that's awesome I love you for it um and that's like the really basic one but then there's things like expanded sense of community there's a sociologist and Mimi Shippers who has talked about this as well and she's only recently started writing about it because she talked about the stigma within academia of trying to publish about polyamory and she was actually afraid of losing tenure so it's a whole other thing um but she talks about the expanded community of polyamory so like if you've got a partner and another partner and those partners have partners and then like all helping each other, whether that's in, in crisis um, or whether that's in like joy, you know, so like I had some illness there over um, Christmas and my partner's partner like making me hot water bottles and tea and checking that I was okay. Like just more family, more love, more support, more people like as we say within our polyamory or within our polycule more people on the team raising all ships. I really love that as an expression because I, I think it's it's really unhealthy sometimes to try and expect one person to meet all your needs especially if you talk very different love languages you know like mm-hmm. you know I like touching and you know in some senses I'm like a good day for me is if I've been hugged for 24 hours today that's <laughs> that's not needy at all I just really like it but that's it. like you can't ask somebody else to you know meet your needs so much to that level or you know constantly do, talking all the other love languages like they have their love languages and they're complex human in their own regards so if you have maybe mm-hmm. different people who talk different languages it just seems like more of a risk for happiness and and satisfaction in in that aspect without putting so much pressure on one person to be absolutely everything for you which it doesn't feel too healthy sometimes yeah and like you know people who have super enmeshed relationships with the big ask on each person and then there's people who have expanded community monogamous relationships but that they have like a wider support network so just not make it like poly and mono and we're all at war with each other you know so we can see in and with monogamous people that people who have a more spread out social support network they report higher levels of happiness and you know over long periods of time as well this has been studied 
And it's important for holistic well-being. It's not just like that there's one person meeting all those needs, as you say. Um, and polyamory facilitates that. So the, it's been my choice to go down that avenue of like, I will do this romantically, that I will have multiple supports, but it can be done through friendship. It can be done through family in other ways as well. And I think meeting needs, like you might have like amazing intellectual chats with one partner and it's not even like, I suppose I slagged this within the community. I'm like, oh, it's like Pokemon. You got to catch them all. It's like, not that people fit specific needs. I, like, I hate that mentality around it, but more like let that person and you surprise yourself in how you in a way fit together. Not that someone has a designation of like, you're my hugging partner, um, but more like what magical thing will happen between us in this relationship um, and how can that expand your life? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's very objectifying if you're like, you, you're meeting my touch need. You, you're meeting my food needs. <laughs> you know, that's that's not a good thing to do um, yeah. to someone. So, you know, one of the bigger, um, I suppose, um, myths as well, or not myths really, I suppose, but queries that people might have is like, how do you manage jealousy? And I feel kind of not resentful at this question because I think it is on, on one hand a very natural question for people mm. to have but you know I wish we talked about jealousy in all forms of relationships you know because it does happen in all forms of relationships mm. by all genders and sexualities and it's just how we deal with it so how do you deal with that kind of question uh acknowledge that it happens and that the feeling is valid um I absolutely true line in all of my therapy practices like the feeling is valid um it's the action and the behavior is the thing that we might need to question and pick apart um as soon as you tell someone that you know and there is this narrative within polyamory of like poly people don't experience jealousy i hate that <laughs> it's like some people uh, maybe experience less jealousy and that is great for them and then there's some people who experience lots of jealousy and there is nothing wrong with that it doesn't mean that they're like less equipped to be poly um, it's a thing I hear when speaking to monogamous people that they're like I couldn't do that because I'm jealous and it's like well that's a feeling but it's not an action plan for your behavior you can pick apart jealousy you can look at what's causing it is there certain triggers is there certain need that uh, can be accommodated in the short term while you pick apart the jealousy um, there's jealousy workbooks that you can do. You can work with a polyfocused therapist. <coughs> Me. Um, <laughs> very smooth, very smooth. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's like there's it's not um it's not an immovable object. You know, there's lots of other feelings that we have. Like people experience anger. Again, there's nothing wrong with that feeling. Anger can be very useful. But it's like you don't have to act on your anger. You can feel it, you can acknowledge it, you can be curious about what caused it. Maybe it's a really healthy like alert system to tell you that there's like something you need to pay attention to. Um, but same with jealousy. It's like, oh, there is a handy alert system. What is it trying to tell you? I really like that and while you're talking there and getting the image of my head of like you know that uh, the quote of like the time came when it was too painful not to bloom some, uh, something along those lines mm -hmm. so like you, you remain furled up and I feel like that's what we do when we're not addressing things like anger and jealousy and all these kind of things and we just stay at that surface level of oh I'm jealous like I'm gonna break up with them because they yeah. think they're cheating or whatever or I couldn't do poly and stuff and maybe deep down they might want to do poly but it's 
terrifying and they, that maybe manifests as like oh that's jealousy I couldn't do that and then as you unfurl and and turning into your beautiful flower and you bloom I think that that's you know and whatever relationship style you're doing that that's just essentially acknowledging the stuff that's deep down within all of us because we're all products of society mm-hmm. and we're all navigating our way through the mess of sex and relationships but it feels like like when you're saying there of going the, the, the emotion is valid now let's bloom and grow and, and deal mm-hmm. with that and address that and it just feels like lovely and healthy and, and just god we'd be a lot better society overall wouldn't we if we if we all addressed that that aspect mm-hmm. of things but oh yeah yeah hopefully one day um I want to go back on what you said there as well the idea of um some people who might talk about the jealousy thing in a way of saying oh it means like you're not cut out for being poly or something mm-hmm. and you know I have heard from people who said you know if if they've gotten into poly but it's not really poly it's just an abusive relationship and mm-hmm. like let's make that clear there's a lot of people who who would say oh I'm into kink and if you don't do this you're not into kink that's not kink that's abuse that's not a, a true a true kinkster inverted commas mm-hmm. quote but that's that's someone using you for their own needs that's not a, a you know mm-hmm. an honest person um but I've I have heard people saying oh well you know this is the way you do poly and if you're not doing it my way well then maybe you're not really cut out to be poly or you're not poly mm-hmm. enough if if I don't have six girlfriends and you only have one or whatever like that and I feel like that's such a very toxic narrative and it's using mm-hmm. poly as an excuse for abuse so do you think that that's common and how do people navigate that as well um I don't know if I would say it's common it definitely is a thing I have come across um and it's a thing to be aware of like you would be aware of it within any relationship structure so I would see that as like a libertarian um and totally lacking in accountability so if that person is not accountable for their own actions but determining the actions of everybody else so it can cultivate a ridiculously ideal life for them and um, with no consequences whatsoever that is sure it's it's a form of polyamory but it is not you know like I said earlier on like it has to be consensual for every single moving part and it's an interpersonal thing and everybody must consent to it it is one dominant personality like shoving their politics down everybody else's throat and telling them that they only have space within this community if they behave a certain way that is not consent at all yeah, absolutely. And a absolutely toxic relationship. Mm. Um, and uh, like in, in every aspect and, and do I think people do hide behind these labels um, a lot of the time. And even, you know, in straight relationships or mono relationships or whatever it is, there's a lot of people using words and language to hide their abusive tactics and to put people off the scent of, of what's really kind of going on there. But to, to go back to the... Um, I suppose, well, I suppose, no, To we'll come back to that in a minute, but I want to go to your services that are working in this area, um, you know, and if there are people who are struggling with their aspects of polyamory and they're just, I mean, there's a lot to confront, like we're all struggling with every kind of relationship because this is part of being human, you know, we get messed up by your relationships and, and everything else. So, you know, like talk me through the, the therapy scene with polyamory in Ireland. Like is it, is it a big world? Like do you get specific training in therapy? How to be, you know, how to understand polyamory? Because it's, it's my understanding that there's not a lot of sexuality training for therapists in Ireland as it stands. 
Yeah, so there's very, very little in this country. Um, so the kind of the basic training um, is, well, you know, not even the, the profession isn't even fully regulated yet. So that's a whole other discussion. If I was just talking about psychotherapy, not talking about poly, and I would rant for hours, but I won't because we have a topic. Um, so yeah, there is not enough conversation in colleges with people who are being trained around even sexuality, let alone LGBTQ issues, let alone polyamory. And kink was never mentioned until I started bringing up in class. So my class know about these things because I'm ranting about them all the time. Um, but it's not, it, there's very few. There's been a couple of colleges that I've heard about who might have a module and that's like really encouraging to hear about. Um, but I have done a huge amount of research along with my regular studies and been applying these theories and then done extra training abroad online um, just so I could have this practice. And then I have, you know, obviously supervision. So I'm checking in with people who have 20 years experience going, is this right in this case? And, and they're like, yes, yes, this is working. So it's like my, I, I have full faith in my own practice. When it comes to psychotherapy within this country, there's great things happening. It's good with polyamory itself. Yeah, your viewers can't see my face. I'm sorry. <laughs> so it's very frustrating. And um, people don't know the shape of their own bias. I think there's an awful lot of arrogance within practitioners where they haven't started to unpick in themselves their own views around relationship structures, monogamy, sexuality, freedom, how people express that. And it can come out in the way a question is phrased towards a client that is deeply stigmatizing. And this has been, there's very little academic study in polyamory, but this is one of the areas that has been studied a little bit of like the negative experience that people have within therapy. Um, and there's very few, oh, well, I think this is, oh, it's like something like 60 something percent of people don't report this to their therapist. So if we think about like the purpose of therapy and you're meant to be able to go in and share and be totally honest and like be accepted. And these are like core tenets of what therapy is, but yet you feel you have to hide this thing. And then when people do disclose, then they experience shame. So as you can see, because I'm all head up about this, this is something I'm hugely passionate about. It's like people in training or people who are already practicing need to go back and train. They like even just go do a weekend course because there are going to be more and more people coming in and saying this kind of stuff and they don't want to be stigmatized. It will interrupt the therapy or break the relationship and it will give that person baggage moving forward in the relationship because of that inherent power dynamic where a person will presume that a therapist knows better yeah. and they don't. They do in some kind, they might have insights and they might have questions, but they don't know your relationship better. And if their bias is getting in the way, it's really important that therapists unpick their own bias. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, yeah, if, if I walked into a therapy session and explained something and they made some kind of stigmatizing comment, I would be like, I don't trust this person. Like, so mm. I'm not really either going to engage or I'm just going to go find someone else like it. And then then you have to go through that kind of grief for that situation and then try and find someone else. And it, it can be a little bit of a experience um so to just speak. to give people an actionable because i realized i went on a very impassioned rant there <laughs> yeah. um so what i did with my own therapist and um, when i was looking for somebody who would be a good fit is that i emailed her and was like i am queer i am poly i'm kinky if this is going to be an issue for you i don't think it would be a good fit for us but i'm interested in the methodologies that you work with 
but I need a very clear answer on this if this is going to interrupt our relationship. So I was setting the parameters and like kind of like dating of like, are you a good fit for me? Rather than like, oh, you're the therapist and you know everything. And you can shop around, but you don't need to get through six sessions with someone. You can just say it directly in an email and check if they're going to be a good fit or not. Yeah. And you can ask for references as well. You can ask, have you dealt with a poly client before? Was that experience positive? Would it, you know, you can ask for things like that because you're a consumer. It's totally okay. Yeah, that's absolutely, that's a really good point. Like for any kind of therapy, you know, like I look at the reviews if I'm buying a toaster, like, you know, it'd be nice to get <laughs> reviews for a therapist, which is yeah. a little bit more expensive and also uh, a bigger impact on your life. And yeah. it's, it's okay. And if I suppose that would be a massive red flag if they were like, no, you can't have that. Like if they're open mm -hmm. and honest about it, that should be a nice, healthy thing. So that's kind of important to remember. Um, I want I want to go back to go back to the, the healthy, positive stuff again for a minute. Mm -hmm. And lots of poly people talk about compersion. Um, mm -hmm. So do you mind explaining that for us? So compersion is feeling joy when seeing a partner experience joy with another partner. So that sounds a bit technical, so I'll give an example. So if I was to see that my partner was lit up with love for their other partner and just like either telling a story and being like, I'm going to this and like they're getting all giddy or like to see them together and be loving and like, you know, just like tender with one another. And it's like, oh, like if I was to see a friend deeply in love, and like them get a presence that was perfectly fitted to them, you'd be like, oh, I'm so happy for my friend. It's the same feeling, but within a relationship. Now people don't go from a monogamous relationship to compersion. Some people never experience it. And I think I think it's important to say that because I have poly friends, they're like, am I a bad poly person? I don't experience compersion. And then they feel this imposter syndrome and shame and like, oh, I'm not doing this correctly. So some people experience it. It is lovely. I have experienced it. It's really beautiful. It adds to my like sense of well-being and mankind and gives me hope. Um, and also it it gives me this further belief that my partner is like safe and well and thriving and you know it being loved by someone as well as me. And don't we all want that for our partners? We want them to be safe and happy and thriving. Like that's a lovely mm. thing to want, a, a very healthy thing and should be a good part of your relationship to want your other partner to thrive you know mm. and to enjoy life and whatever like whether that's your other partner that gets like super nerdy about lego or whatever happens to be like <laughs> they're finding something that makes them happy and you know we should be happy and it doesn't mean we have to get on board like maybe your partner is super happy going off baking cakes with someone and you like it's, it's not like you have to go oh i have to mm. go bake a cake now like you you know you can <laughs> just eat the cake on your own you don't have to as a terrible analogy but you know you don't have to join in you can be happy from afar I think is, is probably where Actually, I was going with that <laughs> I think your analogy was perfect of like your partner goes and makes a cake and then they come home with cakes so to take the compersion thing further of like your partner goes and experiences full acceptance and joy and recognition and they can be authentic they come home in a good mood you eat the cake <laughs> okay okay <laughs> that's Raising a good all one. Ships again no. yeah that's actually nice yeah if your partner's happy your relationship will be happier mm -hmm. in one sense like so it's an added kind of benefit then but then on the on the flip side of that then how does it work you know what scares me a lot about polyamory is like if if your partner is going through a breakup with someone else but you've got 
so 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 there's you in the middle not middle you know like just in this particular <laughs> setup here um and you're gonna have one person and you're you're having a breakup with them but you have another partner that you're like super happy and everything's great and no bother <laughs> like it feels like on one hand like you know you should be super happy with your partner on the other hand you're going through this really devastating time and it's like does that negative experience impact the happy relationship or you know is it like because because it takes a while to get over a breakup maybe you might be devastated and you might be in no mood to have fun with the other partner or see them or have sex with them or whatever happens to be as you're going through breakups and stuff and that might have in turn a knock-on effect on that relationship so that just that seems like scary to manage sometimes yeah and it is a thing uh and it is scary and it's hard on people and it's like the, here's here's the buzzword boundaries <laughs> of like you know with anything like say if you had uh, like a personal loss like a, with a family member and like that's devastating so we have social scripts around that of like you're kind of your relationship goes into hibernation like low energy mode you need to take care of yourself you can maybe just only watch netflix and like not engage in like you know relationshipy things but your partner has a language for that because we know this within society of like we would not expect someone to be more than that whereas it's kind of the same experience like a relationship breakdown is experiencing grief it's incredibly difficult so there's this different set it's, it's like having to just take that like script and then put it on that and then go the relation not that it goes on pause it just goes into a different mode you're into like this is this is sleepy self-care mode and that person just needs that um Brandy Brown has a, an interest, she has nothing to do with polyamory, but I think she's great. And she has a really helpful frame around being able to communicate where you're at mentally. You know, it kind of relates to spoon theory, but this is different of like, uh, she calls it the 70-30 rule. So if we have like a hundred coins um, and they are divided between the relationship and in this one, because it's Brandy Brown, it's two people because she's, you know, monogamous. Um, so one person might be at 30 and the other person might be at 70% of energy. So rather than having to turn around to the person going, I'm feeling this and I am going through this and you have to like do the labor of explaining it. And then you get into why you're feeling it and it's like exhausting. So if you can just go, I'm a, I'm at a 10 <laughs> today and that's it. And you've had this conversation with your partner or partners before and they understand that you don't have anything to bring that day. You don't have anything to bring that week. And so that week or that day, they bring as much as possible the 90. You get into tricky areas if you're both at a 10, but then at least if you both understand, it's not about, you're, you're not hurtfully doing that to each other. You're just without the labor explaining, I'm at a really low ebb right now and I need some help if that's possible. Yeah. So that applies to healthy. the break. Yeah, that's, that's totally healthy of, you know, and we all have days like that where you're just like, I can't do anything. It's just not, not happening today and mm. stuff. And I suppose like the whole breakup thing and stuff, if you're in a poly relationship, it's not something that's going to come out of the blue. Like you, it's, it's something that like you're going, there is a high chance my partner will have a breakup with someone else yeah. because they're dating someone. So like you will be prepared for that as well. It's not, mm. you know, something kind of totally unsurprising. Um, But I suppose like it's lovely that you have the group and stuff because then it's nice mm. to kind of ask people, is this normal? Is this what you do? How do, how do I figure this out? You know, where resources are and things like that. And I wish all mm. people had that. That would be a lovely world that we lived in if we <laughs> were so open about asking for help if we needed it. 
Yeah, yeah. I have like four different thoughts I want to say all at once. Um, so one, there's a really good book called The Polyamory Breakup Book. So if anyone's going through that situation, I, you know, like it's not absolutely perfect. No poly book is, but there's definitely some helpful bits in it. Having the community is really helpful. And the other side of that is especially around breakups. There is no social script whatsoever for people to support their friends. So if there's any monogamous listeners, which a lot of people will be, if you have a poly person in your life and they go through a breakup, please honor it like you would honor any other breakup. It is across the board, every single meeting I facilitate, this gets mentioned of that there is no acknowledgement of that grief. Um, and it's so painful. You experience the breakup and then you experience it within a relationship as well, which is extra difficult. And then you turn to friends because you can't really that much turn to the partner that you still have. So you turn to friends and then they go, oh, but you used to have a partner. And they shook it off like you're not experiencing anything. It is so dehumanizing. It is really tricky. And then there's no there's no language because then you just instantly feel guilty of like, oh, yeah, you're right. I'm just an asshole. Yeah, it's very minimizing your pain there. Maybe a little bit of gaslighting as well of, of just like, no, you're not feeling that you're fine. And um, yeah, that's not great. That's not the kind of people that we want to be. So absolutely yeah. not. Um, what was the name of the book? It was the Polyamory Breakup Book. The Polyamory Breakup Book. Yeah, okay. it's available on Audible. And it's like under 10, I think. It's pretty handy. It's like very accessible. It's not like a theory book or anything. It's just like, here's some tips from someone who is a polytherapist. Um, I'm not sure where they're based, but yeah, it's, okay. it's a good read. Oh, that's fantastic. Fantastic. So, well, and, and speaking of resources, you have your own contact details and your own Instagram, which is really a lovely, nice, accessible little space. So um, thank you for putting that out there in the world. What is your contact details for everybody? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter as Red Green Counseling, and I think it's the same name on Instagram as well. So, yeah, like I don't... Um, I'm not super active. I was at one point, but now that I have like more clients and I'm, you know, still like I obsessively study and obsessively listen to like podcasts um, and I'm just trying to like give catered um, information to each of my clients. So I'm less energy for the social media side of things than I did. Um, but it's just trying to remind people that poly people exist, queer people exist. We deserve to have space. This is what representation looks like. Um, and then share whatever um, good data sources that I have. So I'm quite careful about what I share with other people. So yeah, that's, that's me online. Yeah, no, and that's fantastic because it's necessary. Like you said, it, like a lot of people don't want to read the academic stuff if they're kind of going, is this for me? And they don't want to know 63% of people enjoy this and this, like no no one wants that. Like they want to know like what the reality of it is and, and stuff like that. Unless you're uber nerdy and you want to, you know, meet, get into the stats and stuff most of us just want to explore and experience and stuff like that so that's fab that you're putting that out there into the world the democratization of polyamory knowledge so it's really nice so um Ruth it's been a joy thank you so much for coming on and for talking to me and for being that very visible light out there in the world especially in Ireland when we have a while to go sometimes when it comes to accepting different relationships sometimes but we are getting much better so thank you well, thank you for giving me the space. I have genuinely enjoyed this hour. So it's really nice to speak and just say the things that I think and not have someone go, oh, but that's terrible. Um, so it's lovely to have this space, safe space with you. 
Excellent. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, no, you, you're not going to get a massive combative podcast here. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's no fun for anybody. Um, so fab. So listen, thanks, Emil. And thanks, Emil, to all my listeners, as always. And um, if you want to re- um, learn some more, reach out to Ruth there over on her Instagram or her Twitter. And if you forget those and you can't press rewind and grab them in the podcast, you can drop me a DM. Uh, um, Twitter and Instagram is West Podcast. So like I said, the top of the air, if you want to support, you can pop over to patreon.com forward slash tortoise and helps keep the mics on. And otherwise, I will see you fine people next week. <laughs>